Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Fernando Ribeiro, the founder and CEO of Alinea Health. Fernando, welcome to the show. Mike, thanks for having me. It's, it's really a pleasure. And uh, as, as the crowd will see and the community will see, there is a lot of lessons learned here on your path and on your previous paths as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting to know more about, about you and, and your journey. And of course, sharing it uh, with the community so we can all benefit from the lessons learned of, of each other. Always, always learning, right? With a, a learner uh, mindset. So who is Fernando? And, and let us know more also, uh, how did you decide to, to start Linear Elf? And, and later, uh, we will discuss more about Linear Elf, but let, let's start with, with you, of course. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, so I'm originally from Sao Paulo, Brazil. I went to law school here, but um, never practiced. So started in finance, uh, investment banking, then private equity in Sao Paulo, New York. Um, but I come from a family of doctors and entrepreneurs and always had that entrepreneurial itch. And in 2014, joined um, an early stage startup in Sao Paulo and, you know, very different times than today. Uh, we <laughs> um, joined the company. We had um, 10 or so people, um, essentially pre-operational and went through, you know, like an incredible cycle of, uh, you know, bringing in incredible team of investors and then growing the company. It was there for close to three years. Um, and over that time, um, you know, we went from, you know, 10 or so people to over a hundred employees and, uh, um, being a part of that journey was, was incredible. Um, then left to go to business school, um, and worked at Amazon as a senior product manager on the Alexa team and then joined, uh, Bridgewater Associates, um, uh, which is the common theme there is, you know, like these very strong cultures. Um, and, uh, and then returned to Brazil, uh, and since then, uh, we've been in this completely obsessive love hate relationship with healthcare. And I know, Mike, that you're, you're, you're passionate about this as well. So uh, I know that you understand how easy it is to fall in love with uh, the purpose of, uh, of, you know, of dedicating your life to healthcare, uh, but also how frustrating sometimes, you know, reality and the status quo can be. Um, and just by personal connection to, to healthcare in general. So I, as I mentioned, I come from a family of doctors and entrepreneurs. And my great-grandfather, he was one of the founding members of the um, uh, medical licensing board here in, some, in Brazil. And his medical ID is actually number 13, which is pretty wild to think that, you know, so, so recently <laughs> we've, uh, you know, we've actually started a medical licensing board in, in, in Brazil. And uh, fast forward to today, um, I mean, Brazil has just really, hasn't really evolved um, much on, on quality, right? So uh, Brazil is still um, on the bottom of the quality rankings in the World Health Organization. We have massive problems with access. Um, over 160 million people want but can't have access to private health care in Brazil. And it's um, a very, unfortunately, broken system that impacts people every day. And I, unfortunately, have had experiences myself. My, my wife um, almost died from a misdiagnosis. And these are things that unfortunately happen a lot more often than people um, understand. So, um, you know, very excited to, to, to be here and uh, share a little bit more about Alenia as well. 
That, that's great. This uh, this week we have released the the podcast with uh, with Vidya uh, Tiago, so which is kind of also helping with the surgery component uh, for the ones who don't have a, a health plan. And uh, we keep going with uh, with health tech. Of course, this episode will not be uh, released uh, uh, in the same week. So for the ones who are listening, to not be uh, confused, but uh, definitely. We are covering more and more Brazil and uh, and what are the the needs of the healthcare system, and I'm really excited to to know more. And um, that's when you 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 came out with with the idea for uh, Alina Elf, and there is a lot, as I said, there is a lot of opportunities in the health tech system uh, or in the healthcare ecosystem in in Brazil, uh, which is uh, which which brings a lot of opportunities for health tech companies to solve those. Uh, big problems and uh, let us know more about uh, why Linear Health and, and what you are doing. Yeah, um, so just uh, taking even a, a couple of steps back and, uh, and you know, just offering some context to, to some of the viewers who, are, who might not be familiar with, uh, with Brazilian right. healthcare, but um, here in Brazil we have um, over 210 million people um, and uh, 50 million have access to private healthcare plans. And if you ask the other 160 million people, what are the things that they most want? Private healthcare plans are amongst the top three good or services most desired by Brazilians. And the number one reason why they don't have it is because it's expensive. Um, and here in Brazil, it's, you know, it's very expensive. Uh, and every year, it only gets more expensive, um, roughly 17% hikes every year. So it's, um, it's something that people absolutely crave and they, have, they, they can't access. And... Um, you know, once we start peeling the layers and, you know, trying to really understand, diagnose what the root cause of the issue is, um, unfortunately, it's the service that we, the, the model that we have, the incentives um, of fee-for-service. And I know this is a, a common theme uh, shared in the U.S. as well. But here in Brazil, uh, providers are essentially paid for volume. So every time they do new service, a surgery, a procedure, um, that's the incentive. And unfortunately, when you have that kind of incentives in place, um, you generate uh, waste and fraud. And this is a $3 trillion problem in the U.S. And uh, unfortunately, Brazil shares this um, as well. And here, it's just right. mind-blowing. It's up 20 to 40% of total healthcare spend is waste and fraud. Um, wow. And what essentially, um, you know, what essentially Alinea is offering is, uh, so we work with, uh, is care coordination and care navigation. So we work with employers that offer private healthcare plans to their employees, and we help their, their employees navigate through their healthcare journeys. Essentially, with two main components. One is uh, virtual primary care. So, unlike in the US, uh, um, most folks have a family doctor, someone who you know, actually takes care of them throughout their journeys. Here in Brazil, uh, you know, most Brazilians don't have that kind of uh, uh, close uh, proximity to, to a physician. So, we're actually trying to you know, connect the dots here and uh, have a holistic view of people and helping them navigate. You know, through their healthcare journeys. And the second big bucket is in navigation. So every time somebody needs to use their private healthcare plans, here in Brazil, they're abandoned. Um, they have to sort of fend for themselves. Uh, and it's and there's very little information or transparency or even convenience in navigating that journey. And Alinea essentially brings this almost concierge-like um, experience where every time they need to use their healthcare plan, they can access our, um, our team, our platform, and we'll either you know, recommend what the best uh, physician is within their network, help them by actually executing the scheduling and follow-up, et cetera. So it's really trying to 
you know, I think bring the convenience That's that we have in almost every other aspect of our lives. Uh, you know, you can order an Uber with two clicks, uh, but here in Brazil, if you want to find, you know, who's the most appropriate physician for you um, and actually schedule that, that's a massive undertaking, unfortunately. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I can see, I can see the problem as a, an autoimmune warrior. Uh, it's, it's definitely difficult to understand uh, who should we go to and, uh, and who is able to combine all the pieces together and provide us uh, an healthcare journey. So definitely uh, super well uh, needed. And, and sometimes the insurance also on that side, of course, they are doing their job. Uh, when you are a little bit desperate about your own uh, health situation, they will ask you, why are you doing these lab tests, et cetera, et cetera. So really having someone who is taking care of, of that journey, uh, I think that helps also the, um, the insurance side uh, to, of course, avoid the, the fraud that is a massive problem uh, that you were talking about and to not affect the ones who are not trying to make fraud, uh, but uh, who are really trying to, to get better, uh, as, as you said. So definitely it's, it's good to, to try to balance and cover the, the two sides uh, of, of the coin and uh, improving the experience of, uh, of the patient and at the same time making the system more effective and, and sustainable because that's one of, the, one of the issues, right? So nobody is happy nowadays with uh, the, um, the health insurance because the insurers uh, are not having a lot of margin and, and the patients are not having the value that they want out of uh, out of the service and and you guys are aligning the incentives of of both parties right and also the exactly. of course through the company uh, or through the employer uh, side correct exactly yeah um, I, I think in life probably the the, the the biggest asymmetry of information is between patient and doctor you know there's just a massive gap there um, and having, you know, uh, an independent, impartial third party who can help you navigate through that journey is absolutely critical, especially when we're talking about something that's so important, like your healthcare. Um, you know, you have a major life decision to make. And sometimes, uh, you know, like you're, you're given one prognosis and you're sort of left to, to, to uh, decide things with very little, uh, you know, either triangulation or um, a second opinion, et cetera. So we're really trying to close that gap and then offer that kind of support and, and convenience throughout the journey. And to your point, uh, you know, when we look at healthcare in Brazil, um, the two parts that you know, like are very critical in this equation which are the employers who pay for the bill and the employees who are getting some, you know, oftentimes unnecessary or harmful procedures um, are the most abandoned um, in the equation. So. Uh, we're trying to step in and really, you know, uh, uh, be partners to these two, you know, critical parts of the equation. So we want to bring, um, elevate the quality of healthcare for the for the members, and we want to reduce costs to employers, essentially through quality. So when you, you know, like when we're actually um, delivering, you know, the appropriate care at the right time with the right physician, um, we're elevating quality significantly, and uh, we're avoiding tr the, the twenty to forty percent of waste and fraud. Uh, which is again helpful for for the employers. So you know, like that is our mission. Uh, our mantra is to reduce costs through elevation of, by elevating the quality of healthcare in Brazil. Much better explained. Thanks for uh, clarifying. And uh, 
And it, it is incredible because uh, you have started uh, the company at least officially uh, kind of one year uh, ago. And it seems for the clarity and um, and the confidence that you talk about the idea and what you are doing that you have started almost three or four years ago, uh, at least. I know that uh, we will discuss that later a bit on, on the fundraising uh, bit. You also have a benchmark in the US. Uh, one of the leaders of those benchmarks are also uh, your investors uh, which and business angels, which which helps um, a lot to, to get already into an, another stage, another understanding of the markets, another experience. And at the same time, of course, you bring the understanding of um, your ecosystem as, as you are Brazilian and you understand both the, the US and, and Brazil as you have been living uh, in both um, countries. Did, did that help in terms of uh, ensuring that you were much faster kind of executing and uh, bringing the, the, the idea or trying to solve the problem in Brazil uh, much faster than, than the typical life cycle of an of a early stage company? Um, I think you know our what really accelerated. I think our our learning curve was uh, you know like the team that we, that we put together. So my co-founder Will is one of the most phenomenal people I've ever met, uh, and um, together you know we're very systematic in, in our approach. Um, so you know we always start with that hypothesis, and then we're you know clearly going after validation. So you know our big question, you know number one question was feasibility at first. So you're know, like, hey, we know that in the U.S. Um, people have been able to leverage data in a way to essentially to solve this problem, right? Hey, how can we leverage data to have a deeper understanding of providers, a deeper understanding of patients, and uh, elevate quality and reduce costs? And that's been done in the U.S. and um, right. and here in Brazil, unfortunately, just you know, basically no progress. Um, it's really been um, surprising. So we started off with you know that basic question of feasibility, and then went through the motions of hey, what's the quality of the data? What can we do, et cetera? And after building that confidence, going after the you know the second big question of desirability, hey, what's the kind of reception that we'll see in companies? And then that was just we were just blown away. Um, I've never been in situations where you know it's like it's an inverted pitch situation. We could step into a company and then they start selling to us, um, and then that was um, for us just like really mind blowing, saying wow, this is. This is truly critical, and you know, after talking to literally, um, you know, everyone in every you know major vertical in healthcare in Brazil, um, just being blown away by how, unfortunately, you know, penetration in tech in, in Brazilian healthcare has been just very, very low. Um, there's just a lot of opportunity to apply, um, sometimes even basic uh, kind of uh, you know uh, data science uh, into into this you know into this journey, and having massive impact. So, um, you know, after going through that, you know, those, those loops um, yeah. and building that level of confidence, that's when we decided to, hey, now let's really beef up our team, bringing in incredible investors. And I honestly think that we've, you know, we have the best uh, investors uh, to, to help us in, execute, in executing this vision. So we brought in Founders Fund, who, you know, it's just a phenomenal firm, but above all, they also have a deep understanding of the problem that we're solving. Um, and General Catalyst, um, another person truly world-class team um, who also invest in our, in our U.S. benchmarks. And you also alluded to this. We, we also brought in Glenn Tolman, who is um, former CEO and founder of Livongo, um, probably one of the people who most understands you know, like digital health in the world. 
and uh, also into our into our team. So I think we really put together this incredible team of uh, of um, investors and um, employees who are just you know all share that twinkle in their eye of you know reshaping Brazilian healthcare. That's really uh, impressive, and definitely the strategy of uh, ensuring that you have the right people uh, around you uh, to ensure that you are able to execute and, and really have an impact uh, with with the venture. So that's that's definitely super inspiring, and. Um, You have also been not only uh, as an executive in a in a scale up in in Sao Paulo before, but you have also been in in the U.S. with Amazon and and Bridgewater. Uh, did you have any influence in terms of company building uh, that came from those cultures in in the U.S.? If I'm not sure, you have been in Seattle at at Amazon and uh, Bridgewater, uh, New York, or. In, in uh, Bridgewater, yeah, it's in in Connecticut. Um, I was living in New York. And yeah, absolutely. And those are actually, you know, the, the cultural component is actually the main driver that pulled me towards both of these companies. Um, and and both are, you know, significant influences uh, in the culture that we're building at Alenia. And um, and that's, you know, almost as important as our purpose as well, um, is, you know, like what kind of environment and culture are we are we building at Alenia? And, you know, like definitely, you know, was uh, inspired by, for example, Amazon's just customer-centric culture. Um, it's phenomenal. I mean, um, I remember going to meetings and seeing, you know, like very senior leaders um, opening up the seventh, you know, 70th page of a, you know, like of a presentation to look through the flow of, you know, like what the customer journey actually looks like. Hey, what screens are they looking at, you know, at that level of granularity? Um, you know, truly caring about the, the the user experience, and at Bridgewater, it's uh, you know, like there's another big component, you know, big influence in the culture that we're building as well, just transparency. Um, you know, Redalio's you know very famous for you know for building that you know concept of idea meritocracy and radical transparency, and that's something that for me um, you know just very just resonates very close uh, to, you know, to my heart personally and Will's, uh, my co-founder as well. Um, essentially, um, we, we understand transparency at these two levels. One is giving transparency to all employees about everything. Um, and second is interpersonal transparency. So it's being truthful with one another and giving constant feedback and offering that you know, sense of community where everybody wants to help and develop everybody else. Um, this is, you know, like that's easier said than done. And we really have a team of people who, you know, like really share that, share that spirit. I definitely recommend uh, the Ray Dalio's uh, mystic book, uh, The Principles. And of course, if you are a little bit lazier or you are too busy, there you can also watch some YouTube talks from from Ray Dalio where it kind of uh, summarizes all the content of of the book. And there is also a a last one that I've also read uh, also read something um, about where he talks about the the future geolo geopolitical um, uh, forces uh, in in the future, right? So yeah, super 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 good. Okay, perfect. And um, before moving into into the fundraising uh, lessons, that, that's one of the classics and and one of the the stuff that people love to to get to know more about. Uh, how do you see this recent uh, nuclear winter uh, out there, especially in in the US? We we keep seeing 
that for instance uh, Europe and Southeast Asia uh, keep moving strong in terms of rounds there is also always this discussion that maybe some of the rounds were already closed so they are just being announced uh, now so there are some questions about if, if we are having a downturn or not uh, what we are seeing is, of course, there is an impact in terms of uh, term sheets, according to what founders are sharing uh, uh, across informal uh, networks that that we have. Um, what's your position on this? What what is your view on this? Uh, what are some of the um, the tips that you'd like to share with with founders uh, and executives that are listening to us? Yeah, um, I mean, it's uh, these are definitely very crazy times, uh, and uh, even in in the, in the spirit of transparency, that's something that we discuss in the company, you know, very openly. Uh, you know, like what's our situation, what's our outlook, you know, what's our views uh, on the market in general. Um, but I think there are a couple of things here, right? Um, first is uh, where we were three months ago versus where we are now. Um, three months ago, I think we, you know, was this is free fall, and people didn't know, you know, like where the where the end of the pit. Lied. Um, I think now we basically have you know more confidence on that, um, and I you know like I do expect a rebound, potentially not at the same levels of where we were before, um, but I just you know starting with just the outlook, you know I, I think you know things are now you know actually going to trend in a different direction, um, and then second it's you know like looking at the impact um, on Latam and in uh, at Alinea specifically as well. Yeah. Um, I think that you know. Um, it's, it's definitely going to be something that um, will be very positive for a group of companies and very negative for others. Um, Alinea was, you know, like from, from the get-go, um, we are very focused on fundamentals. I mean, we have to, you know, we, are so, we have to solve problems that are, you know, hair on fire problems uh, and that people have, you know, like just desperate need to, to, to solve. And there's nothing more critical than, you know, actual, you know, than healthcare. Um, so for us, you know, our focus of, you know, actually going after, you know, like a true pain, uh, true pain point and, um, you know, building an actual business. So with solid fundamentals, economics, et cetera, um, is something that even, you know, like, I think, you know, when we talked to some certain, some investors, um, you know, they were more of, you know, like they were trying to guide us towards the direction of, Hey, hyper growth. Um, and I think at this, you know, like this new conjecture here of, uh, of the world, we, you know, I think. Premiums are going to basically shift from hyper growth to fundamentals, solid unit economics, and uh, and I think a lot of companies who you know are just excellent at fundraising um, and not necessarily very good at executing are you know definitely going to be penalized. And you know I think in this environment we're you know we're very um, comfortable. Not only do we have a solid balance sheet to you know like go through this nuclear winter. Uh, but secondly, we, you know, the, the entire strategy team um, has been focused on, you know, like this more fundamental view of solving true problems um, in scalable ways. And um, so you know, I think we're, we're, we're pretty well positioned in this, in this context. Right. And what is the headcount of Alinea at, at this stage, just for the listeners to get an understanding? Yeah, so we started the year off basically with uh, me and my co-founder and, and one, more, one more analyst, and now we're at 30. Awesome. Um, and we continue to grow. Well then, and uh, yeah, and, and this is the moment that we, it would be also great to, to go through um, your journey with, with Alinea also in terms of uh, fundraising. So when did it happen, your pre-seed angel rounds and, and late, uh, later or already this year, kind of four months ago or in February, uh, you announced your, um, 
20 million uh, reais, um, almost 4 million US dollars um, seed round, as you said, with uh, being the first investment that Founders Fund led in a health tech company um, in Latam or Brazil, uh, both? Um, yeah, I think it both. Um, okay. Yeah, it was, um, it was, you know, we were really honored also to, you know, to put together this, this, this great team, but just, you know, quick, um, you know, like, uh, yep. Story. So we started. Um, so we, we we started with a small pre-seed round with uh, with people who we thought were just exceptional, you know, exceptional angels who could take us to the next level. And that included um, Latitude Fund. So Brian Reckworth, who I think is yeah. you know probably joining you soon here on the, on the podcast, yeah. is phenomenal. Uh, and uh, you know, and leaders in every major vertical uh, in Brazilian healthcare. So in diagnostics, hospitals, et cetera, we put together this team of truly exceptional people who really understand the Brazilian dynamic. And um, from that moment, you know, we were um, basically following that execution plan that I described earlier. Um, and once we built confidence that, yeah, yes, we not only, you know, this is you know, feasible, we actually have uh, we have just tremendous desirability here from employers and employees. Um, that's when we actually uh, went out and looked for, you know, the ideal group of investors and found that in Founders Fund General Catalyst um, and our you know, group of investors also includes Nocci Ventures uh, amongst others. And, um, and then since then, we've just been, you know, like really executing and growing. Um, now we don't have, you know, like we have uh, a very, you know, like we have years of, of, um, of, of cash burn. So we're not really, you know, looking to, to fundraise at this point. Um, and even just considering our current gap, we have, you know, Foundation and General Catalyst are both, you know, multi-stage investors who could, you know, just right. between them probably take us, you know, to IPO and beyond. Um, so I think we have, you know, like a truly exceptional team of, uh, of investors with us. Right. And yes, and you, you, there is still the, the option even in the region to maybe have uh, Kazakh uh, joining on board or uh, Valor. And I'm missing another very well known. Uh, what is the the, the top three? Uh, Valor, uh, Kazakh. I'm missing one. Um, one There's, of them. Yeah, Mona. She is. Mona, um, she is yes. Very, very. Yeah, big of course. Also. Yeah, but it, it, it's it's interesting that you went also to to be able to attract, uh, as you said, very large investors that can go through multiple stages. And I would say this is also one of the discussions, especially for. The smaller pre-seed funds, they would say, maybe you should um, be backed by us because we are able to help you much more. And maybe those funds make a lot of bets. Maybe they will not follow up on uh, on those investments, and then it will be difficult for you as a founder. But what what are your thoughts uh, on on that? Yeah, so I, I think for us, um, I, I think, you know, there's, um, it's hard for you to, you know, to have generic advice. I think it always, yeah. it's always contextual. And in our context, you know, I think, you know, both founders, Fund and General Catalyst, they hold a very, very high bar in which teams they decide to back, precisely to your point, because they don't want to have, uh, you know, conflicting investments. So, uh, you know, like having them on board is not having them at this stage. It's having them for the long run. And that's something that we've focused from day one is like who are long-term investors who understand, you know, like the, who, deep, who have a deep understanding of the problem that we're tackling. So both Founders Fund and General Catalyst, they invest in, in our U.S. benchmarks. 
but also have hold this long-term vision. Um, people who understand that, you know, like in healthcare in general, these are longer cycles um, and um, who are partnering with, uh, partnering with us, you know, like throughout the journey um, and willing and want to add value, you know, during this process. So, you know, like no, um, there's no objection to funds who, you know, like pre-seed funds. I think, you know, there, there's several that are tremendous and uh, really helping companies go yep. from, you know, zero to one. Um, yep. And in our case, you know, we built a roster that was also composed, uh, you know, like that also had that flavor, um, be it in North Ventures, et cetera. Right. Uh, I, I don't want to, of course, make, make questions that make you uncomfortable. And of course, it's also always a sensitive uh, topic to talk um, about investor. But something that I think that's lessons uh, that founders can extract from, from our conversation and learn from our conversation is the strategic way that you look at into fundraising, trying to associate yourself with, with people that could uh, really help to execute and uh, who understand the space. And at the same time, something that I really enjoyed that you were talking about that are committed with the founding team for, for the long term and that have a history of um, helping the founding teams uh, along different cycles uh, of, of the venture. And, and who are committed to, to help. And of course, who have also in, uh, interesting networks um, in, in the same field. Any other tip or any other lesson learned that you'd like to, to share with, with, with our uh, listeners and viewers? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I, I think it's very important to, to, to do your due diligence. Um, you know, so you know, even for us, you know, like Founders Fund is a tremendous firm, you know, like just known worldwide. Um, but still, you know, I, I, you know, reached out to several, you know, um, CEO founders from their portfolio companies uh, to have a deeper understanding of, hey, you know, what, what is it really like? Um, and what is it really like when things go, when things are great and when things are terrible? Um, And uh, it was great because not only did I learn a ton about, you know, the, not only our current investors, but other potential investors who we didn't bring in um, during, you know, like in our last round, uh, we also just built incredible relationships. These are people that I keep in touch with, uh, you know, to, to this day. And, um, and also have, you know, like, I think one tip I'll give um, folks as well is um, understanding that, you know, like this is, it, it always depends on the people you're working with. So, um, even within a firm, they'll have a specific right. kind of ethos. But the big difference is who are you working with within that firm? Uh, because, you know, like somebody right. might give you, you know, like uh, a reference on what it's like to work with firm X, but they work with a completely different team, a completely different partner, and then it's a different dynamic. So definitely have a deeper understanding of, you know, like who are the actual focal points and those people that you're working on a day-to-day -day basis and, um, and then building that kind of confidence too. Right. And I think it's really important to have those strong business angels very early on uh, backing you. Uh, any tips there? Because I think that we, we, dis we don't discuss a lot on this, uh, on, on, the, on the shows. We talk a lot about VCs, but I think it's, it's super important. I think that you have done that very well. Um, any tips there in order to map the, the kind of the dream list of business angels that you like? Because I think it's also a different mindset, right? So when we start thinking about our dream list of investors, so the ones we would love to work with because we think that they are able to help and that we will have a fit, Of course, then we, we need to develop the relationships for the majority of the founders, uh, unless you are a serial entrepreneur that you have worked with your investors several times in different ventures. But I think this is still um, 
maybe less, at least less than 50% uh, of the cases. I think it will get more and more common that you will be backed by investors that you have worked uh, in the past. And we are, we are seeing as, as the ecosystem matures more and more. But still, um, I think that there is a, an overwhelming um, quantity of information for a founder CEO with starting out. They need to understand what they should do in, a, in the pre-seed stage, what they should do in the seed stage. They need to be a little bit ahead of time. Uh, how do I build a founding team? Uh, what will be my first hires? What looks like my vision in the long term, the midterm, the short term? What will be the role of technology to solve this problem? What is the size of the market? What will be the roadmap? Uh, you know, uh, what will be my fundraising strategy? How do I execute that? Um, how do I keep everyone on, uh, in? So it, there is a lot of questions, a lot of stuff to do uh, early on that it would be difficult to take a lot of time to just go through um, the comp competitive landscape, understanding what are the angels that might help us, what are our dream list of investors. So in theory, as, as I said, we, we know what we need to do. Uh, sometimes we don't know. It's true that that's why we do what we do. But uh, sometimes we know what we need to do, but it's it's difficult also to, to execute. And any tips there on, on the business angel kind of strategy of putting together those, those business angels? Sorry for yeah. The I think you <laughs> no. I think you you actually no. You you articulated you articulated most of the key questions you know very well. And I think as a function of that you know like first I think it's just operating at the objective level, right? So it's you know, like hey, what what are what's our goal? Um, and it, it, in that goal, uh, starting breaking you know start to break down what are some of the you know major risks or questions that we'll have or challenges that we'll face in the short and medium term. And then, you know, who are the ideal people to, to back in each of these buckets of, uh, you know, potential risk, et cetera. So I think, you know, at least in our read, um, there were, you know, there were a few components that were, for example, data related. Um, so, hey, what's the ideal group of people that will want to back us in this component? There's another group that's just specific to you know, the industry. So then, you know, like we also mapped out who are the ideal people we want to have um, to help us in this front. And there's a last component too of <clears throat> just um, company building and stage financing. So, you know, hey, let's bring in other exceptional, you know, CEO founders of unicorn companies. Um, and in that sense, you know, we brought in Brian Rackworth, Brian, some folks are um, happy and, um, you know, people who have experience and are believable in, you know, not only growing from zero to one, but also going from one to a thousand. And, right. um, Having these people, um, you know, um, in your corner as well, um, people who you can, you know, uh, talk to when you're going through these different, you know, specific challenges is just, uh, you know, it was at least in our view critical um, in building that kind of relationship soon. And um, so, yeah, uh, answering your question is a bit of, you know, like looking ahead, breaking, you know, distilling that into a few buckets of, you know, like key, key uh, um, you know, types of angels that you'd like to have, and then, um, and then going after these folks. And the other thing I just say too is um, um, chemistry. I think is very important. Um, you know, having people just uh, you know to slap their name on there isn't you know like it, it, it isn't going to solve your you know that you know that problem. So um, you know, for us, I mean, like we would talk to people, but it was also you know like every time we were talking to a new potential angel, etc. Um, it's really understanding to what extent. First, is this person share our vision? You know, second, you know, there's a, there's an actual connection. And um, third, share that also long-term commitment of, hey, we want to build something that, you know, is going to reshape healthcare and it's going to you know, take this, you know, we're going through this route and people who, you know, share that vision. 
So, you know, yeah. these are, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes the people who you put on, you know, like that, that uh, um, dream list might not check all those boxes. Right. Um, and yeah, I think it's better to have fewer people who you share that connection with than necessarily have just, you know, a massive captive. That's a good point there, uh, especially in early stages. You, again, you don't have the time to speak to too many people uh, because you are really, really busy. And it's not about being arrogant because we, you would love to have that time to speak with more people and to get more feedback and to learn more uh, from them. But it's it's better to have those core people who are able to, to go through and, and maybe that are able to answer 80 or 90% of the questions uh, that you have. Uh, anyway it's not that you are not having the answers and and the experience again at the end of the day that's our take that's our decision but at least we have the option to ask for people who have been there done that before and and who also are a little bit more impartial and have an outside perspective um, but have been insiders in their own companies to to share advice and second that i'd like to share here is sometimes uh, not as you said, starting the relationship, understanding that if you would be a good fit or not, and maybe start by inviting them to to share some advice with you. And and a lot of those people, if they connect with the problem and if they also like you, they'll be more than happy to help without any uh, compensation. So sometimes just being part of an informal advisory board, even for them, they are not interested in having the formality of, of, of the title. Uh, later on, it would be also a benefit from them uh, or an honor for them to be able to be a business angel and to invest in the venture and to have access to, 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 the, to the investment. So it, it's kind of a different frame. Instead of just catching people, it's about nurturing those relationships and really finding out if they are fit, like, like we are getting to know investors and seeing, is this interesting for both of us to work together? Is this a problem that fits your investment thesis? Um, would you also fit my venture thesis, let's say, in, in another way and, and, and dating and getting to know each other? Uh, super interesting uh, points. Totally. Yeah, I totally agree with the try before you buy. Um, and, you know, that's something that, you know, we also do all the time. I mean, when we talk to new investors and, you know, like we have something that they could potentially, have, you know, help us with, um, we'll ask them, hey, um, you know, could you help with help us with this or make this intro? And, you know, it's, there's, it's just a night and day. I mean, there's folks who, you know, even if, you know, like we're talking about a Series A in, you know, more than 12 months uh, from now, you know, folks will help now. Um, and it's, you know, it's not everybody who's like that, but, it gives you a sense of okay, you know, if this person were actually here, you know, and and participating in you know in in building this company, um, you know, it's the expectation uh, of you know like what what kind of value you can build together is just much much greater. Something that that is really also difficult for a founder, and we were talking about this briefly before, it's to have clarity about the vision, about the long-term, but also understanding, being able to execute in the short-term, but not forgetting uh, the mid-term. And um, I I think that, again, as you were saying, sometimes we need to be working in the next quarter, in the next 18 months, what we need to prove in the next round, and at the same time to keep everyone understanding why are we doing what we are doing and who would like to become uh, 
in when we are adults and and in the in the long term. So those ventures are kind of childs or babies that are uh, starting up. So what's next for uh, Alinea Alpha on your minds, and uh, and what what you need to prove in order to to get to a successful uh, A round? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a balancing act of everything you just mentioned. Uh, uh, and, you know, for us, I mean, like our approach is always, um, it's just very obsessive about the problem and very agnostic in regards to the solution and the path. So, you know, like for us, the focus, and it always has to be on, you know, the pain points. Um, so both at the company level and at the employees. And as a function of that, you know, like we are, you know, like We've been very successful um, in, in executing our current strategy, and we have a pipeline of, uh, of more um, companies to onboard, which you know, like we're, we're phasing into. Um, so it's you know, like a, a, a great problem to have. Yes. But for us, you know, like as we're looking over you know, like the next 12 months, you know, our focus is in continue, um, to continue to deliver an incredible experience to our members. Um, and to increasingly, you know, by improving quality, reducing costs to our um, to our employers, and um, you know that's our focus for the next year. And it's really just scaling and you know iterating on 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 this path. And uh, once we hit that, I mean, then we'll you know like we'll really look into you know scale. Um, and that's when we all will raise our Series A and then really you know pumping in more gasoline into the tank. Um, once we've you know close this next cycle. So still those kind of the NPS patient outcomes and, and both NPS for the employee and for the for the employer. And of course, those critical metrics of um, you were, were talking about, you you might know, of course, what, what are the critical metrics, but uh, it might be something related to, to the cost for the, um, the employer and, and, and the quality of service to the the employees uh, and of course it's it is also the quality for the employer uh, in terms of managing uh, the, the the health plan is is also important in a in a certain way but those are kind of the i would say the the big the most important metrics before you start to to think about scaling up post uh, series a or raising the the a round to be able as you said to put the the medal in the pedal and uh, and start scaling up more aggressively. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the two main you know components here is you know like are we driving great engagement and driving a great experience? Um, and in that sense, you know, like I think we've cool. uh, you know like we're we're in such a great timing, uh, um, sort of great slash um, unfortunate, right? Because uh, right. Brazil is just now um, creeping out of uh, you know pa the pandemic. And, you know, recently we were actually, you know, lifting the, the, you know, the COVID restrictions that we're having here. So basically we have two years worth of pent up demand. Um, so people have been basically, you know, we have two years worth of, you know, checkups to do, et cetera. So, you know, engagements have been just off the chart for us. I mean, we've been able to add tremendous value to people, you know, from day one um, and, you know, sustaining this, uh, so really focusing on engagement and, you know, delivering an incredible experience to, to employees and on the employer side is, you know, translating this experience into, um, increasingly more cost reduction. Love it. Super, uh, clear. And so that's the moment where we get into, into that segment of the show where we ask to our guests a quick, uh, question and they give us uh, a quick answer. 
Uh, are you ready, Fernando, for the last segment? <laughs> sure, let's go. Let's do it. Okay, so if you'd have the opportunity to meet yourself uh, or have a coffee with, with your younger self at the beginning of a linear what advice would you offer to your younger self? Um, and the, yeah, so I think one of them is, um, you know, holding a, a higher bar for, for believability. Um, you know, this is actually just a, like, it's a page from Ray Dalio's uh, principles, actually. Um, but, you know, like I think we're oftentimes we're, when we're making a decision that we've never done before, we go after, you know, and triangulate with, uh, with other people. And oftentimes we assume that someone's believable in a certain subject because they hold a certain title. Um, and I think it's very important to sort of demystify this and have a clear understanding of you know, like what makes somebody believable um, in a certain topic. And, you know, raise principles, basically, if somebody's somebody has done that successfully more than three times and understand the cause and effect linkages that led to their success, um, it's a, it, you know, it's a significantly high bar. And if you do that, um, you truly, I mean, you truly mitigate the risk uh, when you're, you know, incorporating this kind of feedback. That's something, you know, like I, um, you know, I'd, I'd reiterate. Love it. What, what are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Yeah, so I think you know, for, for me, it's been the team that we've assembled so far, Elena. Um, you know, it's when we're looking at you know just the, the talent pool in general, um, and we're looking at a group of exceptional people, um, which is obviously like a smaller group, and then we're looking at people who share this you know vision, purpose, and culture of radical transparency, etc. So it's such a small universe, um, and the fact that we've been able to you know like find these you know already thirty people who are you know, check every one of these boxes. Um, something that I'm really, um, you know, really proud of. So, worst advice ever received? Yeah, so I'm going back to the growth over fundamentals. Uh, you know, I think there's a ton of people who are, hey, you know, just start raising without, you know, like having a clear path of what you want to do or, they, you know, like just pump all your capital into growing and, you know, like um, leave the fundamentals to a series A or series B. Um, you know, these all sound like, you know, crazy uh, you know, sounds like crazy advice at this point. Uh, but these were, you know, things that serious people um, were, were recommending. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Not, not the, the, the advice, but uh, awesome that the way you uh, incorporate you, you are incorporating the advice, especially specifically the, the point before that you shared. And now resources, favorite book. Yeah, so this is, you know, I'm not sure if this is going to be very helpful, but for me, like one of the my favorite books is, is uh, Stephen Hawking's The Grand Design. Um, and, you know, it's essentially the, um, you know, for me, the paradigm shift of understanding that everything I learned about physics in high school was wrong. Uh, you know, um, I, you know, like, this is something that, you know, like, of course, you know, is, um, you know, both me and everybody at Alinea we're passionate about is understanding the underlying truth um, behind things um, and, you know, applying actual data statistics and to, to, to have a sharper understanding of what is really going on and what moves the needle to, you know, to, to drive outcomes. And, um, and in physics, I mean, like I was just taught everything wrong. And for me, it was sort of, you know, mind blowing uh, reading Stephen Hawking and learning that, wow, um, you know, the universe actually operates in a completely different dynamic than, than what I used to think. Curious to, to learn more. Favorite movie 
or series? Um, yeah, one of my favorite ones is The Last Dance. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan's you know docu series. Uh, it's just like a great testament of um, you know high performing teams and you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's just interesting to see just you know this this record breaking you know individual and his and his path to get there. And favorite podcasts, excluding this one. Uh, I'll, I'll do you know like a plug for Brian Reckworth. You know, Latitudes podcast is uh, it's pretty great. <laughs> we we are we are both on the same page uh, on that, and of course on the previous resources. It's great suggestions that you made here today, Fernand. Thank you so much for for joining us uh, today and for sharing your your today so far. It's a, it, it's been a pleasure. You are always invited to to come back to share your progress. Perfect, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. And to our community, as you see, we keep bringing you the best of the best and trying to make your life a little bit easier, uh, mitigating some of the risk and uh, giving you some clarity on the path uh, ahead. See you soon and keep scaling.